in the Bible, but it's quite a strong tradition amongst the early church because it seems that John was the longest survivor of all the apostles. He lived well into his 90s, which is really quite surprising that anyone lived that old back then, but especially if you're a Christian. And the tradition goes that every week they would bring the Apostle John into the church meetings on a stretcher. He was a frail old man of 93 years old. And every week they would take him up to the front and he'd lean up on one elbow and speak. And a hush would come over the room. He was the last living apostle of Jesus. What word would he bring us today? And every week he would bring the exact same word. Five of them. Little children love one another. And then he'd lie back down on his bed and they'd carry him out. Some people reckoned he kept saying the same thing because he was just old and lost his mind. Other people reckoned he kept saying the same thing because it was the most important thing to say. Little children love one another. Now, I don't know how reliable that particular tradition is, but what I do know is that loving one another is a very, very important issue as far as the Apostle John is concerned. You can see it in our passage this morning. It's a passage all about loving one another and a passage which follows on very closely from what we discovered last week. See, last week, remember, John raised the whole issue that genuine Christians are obedient to Jesus. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. That's what John said last week. And you see, having laid that general foundation that Christians keep Jesus' command, now John zeroes in on one particular command that Christians are especially keen to keep. It's the command to love one another. Because the truth is, genuine Christians really love to love one another. And that's the truth that he affirms in verses 7 to 11. And he affirms it firstly by pointing out that this command of love well, it's both an old command and it's a new command. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, in some ways, that's quite a cryptic start to this section, isn't it? In some ways, it would have been much more straightforward if John had skipped straight to verses 9 and 10, because it's in those verses that it becomes clearer that he's actually talking about the command to love one another. But John prefers to sort of ease into this topic by referring to an old command which they have had from the beginning. Now he's probably meaning there a, a command that they've had since day one of being a Christian. So important is this command that that's what they had from the very first time that they made a commitment to Jesus. It was part of the gospel that was shared with them. It could also mean though that this is a command that's very much part of the Old Testament because it is. Leviticus chapter 19 encouraged Israel to love your neighbour as yourself. Whatever the exact meaning of since the beginning, uh, what is very clear is that John wants to stress that this command to love, as it turns out, it's nothing new. And I reckon he's doing that because he wants to distance himself from the false teachers that were around at the time. Remember, we've chatted about them a few times. Uh, he's writing to a situation where false teachers are peddling a new dodgy version of Christianity and they're unsettling many people in the church family. 
And so perhaps here, all this stuff about the commandment of love being an old command, it may well be to distinguish what he is saying from what the false teachers are saying with their new trendy ideas. John is saying, no, 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 hear me, I'm not selling you the latest Christian fad. You know the latest thing that sweeps through the churches and it's here one day and gone the next. I'm not teaching you that sort of thing. I'm reminding you of that which you had from the beginning. But he goes on, and this is where it gets a bit of a turn, because yes, it's an old command, but it's also a new one, isn't it? Verse 8. Yet I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now what's that all about? In what sense can this old command also be new? Well, John actually explains it to us by using an illustration, an image. The image is that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, verse 8. It's the illustration of a sunrise. Picture a sunrise. The first rays of light are spreading over the horizon and the sky is just getting brighter and brighter and bright. And when that happens, the lights in our homes become less and less needed, don't they? In fact, you get to the point where the day is so bright that you go around turning all the lights off because they're not really doing anything anymore. That's what Jesus has done with the commandment of love. For in Christ, love has taken on blindingly new proportions. That God would become a man in Christ. That God would not just become a man, but that he would go through all that he went through for you and I. That someone so great would be prepared to be treated so badly for the sake of us. It's a staggering love that Jesus displays. It defies logic, it is amazing, it is extraordinary, and any other sort of love actually sort of pales alongside of it. It's like going into the sunroom on a bright sunny day and turning the light on, it barely registers. That's what it is with Christ. The way we love barely registers against how God has loved us. It's exactly what he's going to go on and say in chapter 4. This is love. You want to know what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God. He loved us. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you see, that's why with Jesus, the old commandment is now new. Because it's taken on a whole new dimension. There's a whole new benchmark now to see exactly what love is all about. But it's even more than that. It's not just that there's a new standard of love. There's also a new sphere of love, a new source of love. Because did you notice in verse 8, he says that the truth, the truth of love being a new commandment, the truth is seen in him, that is Jesus, and in you. The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. See, this is, already, this is a new command in them as well. Think back to this image of the dawning of a new day. It's a really ingenious image because it captures a couple of different things. Because as well as other lights now being outshone by the brightness of the rising sun, what also happens is that more and more things start to be engulfed in light as a sunrise happens, doesn't it? More and more things start to be, uh, come under the glow of the sun as it spreads across the landscape. That also is what happens with Jesus' love. 
as Jesus' love spreads across the landscape, more and more people start to be uncovered and engulfed and changed into people who in turn love as he has loved. It's actually a very vibrant and dynamic illustration that John is working on here. He's referring to the dawning of a profoundly new day that Jesus has unleashed a whole new era of love whereby his love, pocket after pocket after pocket of, per- of people who also love are coming into existence like the creeping of the rays of the sun on the dawning of a new day as Jesus in his love brings into being whole new communities of transformed people who love as he loved. It's an exciting thought. It gets developed as John moves from this old new sort of thing to a contrast between light and dark. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. You see, in those verses, John pictures life as being one of two different sorts, doesn't he? Uh, That with the dawning of this new day of of Christ's love, there is now a a life that is outside in the light or there's a life that is still stuck inside in the shadows, in the darkness. How do you know which one of those two you're in? Well, John reckons it's pretty obvious. Whoever claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Please notice here that John's concern is loving your brother. It's loving other Christians that he particularly has in view here. And notice also, please, that there's no small print about this brother having to be attractive or easy to get on with. It's simply because they are a brother or sister in Christ. And his point is... That irrespective of what someone might say, if they don't love fellow Christians, if they're not into seeking the good for brothers and sisters in Christ, they're just having themselves on as a Christian. They reckon they're in the light, but they're not. They're still in a boarded up house in the dark and the light of God's love that has dawned hasn't even dawned on them. And I don't know, I reckon there's some implications here. for You know that old saying that often gets trotted out? You know the one about, look, I'm a Christian, but I don't think you need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I don't know. The Apostle John would respond, if, if you don't want to be with other Christians at church, what on earth makes you think you're a Christian? It's what we do. We are people who have been transformed by the love of Jesus. We live in the light. We love to love each other. We love to get together. We love to encourage each other. It's one of the telltale signs that we're a Christian. I don't think John, in his wildest dreams, could imagine a fair income Christian saying that they don't want to meet with other Christians or it's not high on their priority list. Followers of Jesus live in the light. They've been transformed by the light of God's love. They just love to love each other. And you see, having now affirmed that truth, having laid that foundation, having painted that picture of Christians living in the light of the new dawning day of Christ's love, he now goes on to apply it. And he does it both as an encouragement and as a warning. The encouragement comes first in verse 12. I write to you, dear children, because 
Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you dear children because you have known the father. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's actually quite a break in rhythm to the passage, isn't it? And notice the rhythm of it. I write to you because you have. I write to you because you have. I write to you because you have. And look at what they have. Verse 12, forgiveness. Verse 13, knowing God, overcoming the evil one, knowing the Father. Verse 14, knowing God is again mentioned. The word of God lives in them. Again, overcoming the evil one is, an, is mentioned again. All these, all these are things that are mentioned in the rest of the letter as blessings of the true Christian. And what is very clear is that John here is seeking to reassure the church that he is writing to that they really are part of God's family, that they really are people living in the light. Because remember from last week, this is a church family who is surrounded by false teachers people who actually used to be in the church and they've left the church now and they're saying back to this church, you guys aren't really all that spiritual. You're still hanging on to all that old stuff. Why don't you get on to the new stuff that we're on to and get really spiritual like us? And John is saying, dear children, don't be, don't be anxious about what they're saying. Don't get carried away by their new stuff. Let me tell you the old stuff that's become you, how Christians love each other. And that's you. You know God. You are forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. He wants to encourage this church. And friends, can, can I use this section just here to encourage you as well? Because many of you here in this church family are wonderful at loving each other. And lots of you, you just call in during the week because you notice someone wasn't here on Sunday. And lots of you are cooking meals and dropping them in and praying through the church directory and doing the shopping for other people and doing their housework and minding their kids. As I speak, there are people loving us by teaching our children out in the back rooms. And I know that some of you have arrived here early to help set up and some of you are going to go home very late because you'll be catching up with everyone. And some of you are feeling really stretched because it's hard work managing life but, and, and trying to get to a small group, but you're determined to do it out of love for the others in the group. And some of you are struggling with small kids just to be ready and get here on time. And some of you come in during the week and you clean things and you fix things. And some of you give lots of money. And some of you here are probably just plain exhausted because you do so much for morning church. And I want this section to encourage you. It's testimony to the fact that you are living in the light it's testimony to the fact that your sins have been forgiven. You know him who, was, who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of God lives in you. Please feel the encouragement of what John's saying here. But there is a warning as well, isn't there? Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's very interesting. From a discussion about who to love, John now moves to a warning about what not to love. 
And it's important to just pause and figure out what he's getting at here. Because this is the same John that said that God does love the world. He so loves the world that he gave his only son. What John means here in 1 John, however, in verse 15, is he's not using the word love in the sense of caring for or wanting what's best for them. That's a good thing. Now, here in verse 15, John is referring to loving the world more in a selfish way, seeking the things of the world first in an ungodly manner. Verse 16 spells it out more for us. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. See, the things of the world which John says not to love, the things not to seek after, they're the ones listed there in verse 16. It's sinful cravings, lust, boastful. Don't love those things in the sense of don't chase after them. Why? They don't come from God, he says. Verse 17 offers a second reason. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I don't know, have you ever had a holiday where you've actually gone to another country, an overseas holiday? When you do that, there are some things that just are not worth buying as souvenirs, don't you reckon? Some of them aren't worth buying because they're just really tacky, but other things aren't worth buying because you can't take them back with you. Australia has quarantine measures that prohibit you bringing certain things back into the country. So to be overseas and buy them, that's just a waste of money. You can't bring them back. And we live with that perspective, knowing that our home is heaven. We live in a fleeting world and we don't get too attached to stuff that we can't take home with us. We're not into loving things that are not of God and that will perish. We're not into storing up stuff that will vanish in an instant. We're into loving each other. Because brothers and sisters who do the will of God, they will live forever. And just as that previous encouragement may have been timely for some of us, do you reckon this warning might be timely for some of us as well? Because is it not the case that so often it comes to us as a choice? Am I going to love the brothers and sisters or am I going to love the world? Am I going to miss my favourite television show? Or am I going, uh, or, or will I visit that, uh, that uh, person in the church family who's doing it tough? Will I go for the best house and the best car and the best holiday? Or will I cut back so that I'll have more free money to give away? Will I fill up my week with sport, hobbies? Or am I going to put, fill up my week with doing things for the church family? See, it often comes to us as a choice. Who am I going to give priority to? <coughs> family? World. God reckons it's no contest. Real Christians, they really love each other, not the world. Because the evil desires of this world, they are not of God and they will pass away. In fact, it's with that mention of the world and its desires passing away that in many ways this passage comes full circle. Because mentioning the world passing away in verse 17, it's an echo of what he's just said in verse 8, isn't it? Remember the darkness? is passing and the true light is already shining. It's, a, it's an echo back of that idea that a new day has dawned and come time the day will be here in full and there will not 
be a shadow left. Which is an exhilarating thought to, to return to and to finish on. That Jesus, through his love, has ushered in a whole new kingdom of love, which even now is already shining. And just like on the dawning of a new day, you know how you see the rays of sun, you see them first on the mountains and then on the top of the roofs, then on the top of the trees. Well, that is this church family. The first signs of the day to come. Or perhaps to change the illustration a little bit, it's like when you go to the movies. You know when you go to the movies and they show you all those trailers of features that are still to come to sort of whet your appetite and, and give you a sample, uh, give you a taste of, of what to look forward to? That's a church family that's loving each other. It's a taste, it's a sample, it's a teaser. It's whetting our appetite for that wonderful full-length feature that is on the way. For friends, our wonderful privilege is to live in the light because a kingdom of love is coming. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It's here when we're loving each other. I'll pray. Father God, we do want to thank you for your love of us. Thank you that though we deserve nothing, yet you have showered us with love and generosity so that we can be here as brothers and sisters. Thank you for that. And thank you for the transforming power of your love, that your spirit has come and that we are being changed. Please, we pray, that we might be changed all the more so that we would love each other well. Amen.